Hey there, I'm Jake Humphrey and this is High Performance, our gift to you for free every single week. This is the movement that reminds you it's within your ambition, your purpose, your story. It's all within. We just help you unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So right now, please allow myself and Professor Damien Hughes, an expert in high-performing team cultures, to speak to the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars and entrepreneurs on the planet so they can be your teacher. If you can, please rate and review this podcast. It really is the very best way to support us. It helps spread the word about high performance. And please remember this podcast isn't about high achievement or high success. It's about high happiness. It's about high self-worth. It's about taking you closer to a life of fulfillment, empathy, and understanding. Today, this awaits you. We went to Dubai to play against Pakistan and I dropped a pretty regulation catch down the and just looking for the ground to sort of swallow me up and, and get me out of here. I just finding it too tough in a way. And, and of course, as a professional sportsman, you never want to admit that you, you need a break or you need to be left out of the team. But at that sense, it came with a lot of relief um, because I knew something had to change. And in a way, you know, I felt like I shouldn't be selected and sort of as just through, through performance, I think, you know, I just felt like I wasn't warranting my, my place in the team. The version of myself that is, isn't as good is when I sort of try and please people. Uh, I try and think, um, you know, I try and do what I believe is what other people want me to do. Sharing a dressing room with, with men your whole life, it's um, a lot of guys are quite closed books. Having two children now who have no idea really what I do, um, you know, that certainly gives a great perspective. They just, you, know, you come home or you get off the field and you've got a video there and you think, okay, it's, it doesn't matter that much. You know, I spend a lot of time, I think, you know, worrying about the next day and sort of thinking, what if it goes wrong? But certainly in the last few years, especially tried to flip that into, well, what if tomorrow's a great day? This is a fascinating conversation with one of the elite sports people on the planet. He was the best player in the IPL over the last few months. You could argue that for the last few months, he's been the most informed cricketer on the planet. He's just picked up his 150th cap with the one day England team. However, we're going to talk as well in this conversation about disappointment, about what it's like to be dropped by the England test side, about the strength he needs when he's at the crease or he's under pressure or he feels like the whole world is watching. But the area that I really enjoyed delving deeply with Joss on was the power of the introvert, the underrated power of the introvert. And I have got a quiet son and my son is so strong, so smart, so bold, so brave, so powerful yet quiet. And people look at Sebastian and assume that, that he's weak and he's not a leader and he's easily led. He's none of those things. And it's time to change the conversation when it comes to the fact that leaders have to be loud. Leaders don't have to be loud because quiet leaders are the ones who listen. Quiet leaders are the ones who consider things deeply. They're the ones who are humble. They're the ones who give credit to the team. Think back to the loudest leaders you've had. They're there because they're loud. They're not there because they're necessarily good leaders. And I tell you, I've worked with a few in my time who I would never, ever want to lead me or lead my teams ever again. Reluctant leaders are there on their actions, not their words. Introverted leaders are the ones that we should be looking to. The quiet leaders are the ones who are making a real difference in the world. And Joss Butler is a quiet leader. He's softly spoken. He doesn't want to brag about his own achievements. He apologises on a couple of occasions during the conversation for talking about himself. Those are the kinds of leaders that I want in this world. And as usual, this is a conversation with a cricketer, but it's not a conversation about cricket. It's not a conversation about sport. This is a conversation about real life. So I really hope you enjoy it. Um, I hope that it gets you closer to your own version of high performance. Today's episode with cricketer Joss Butler comes next. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, Joss, welcome to the High Performance Podcast. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited for it. So you know what you're getting yourself in for then? I think so. Yeah, I'm think uh, I feel a bit sort of um, unworthy with some of the guests you've had on, but uh, you know, I certainly enjoy listening to it, and uh, yeah, certainly um, taking some good lessons from certain people I've listened to. Before we start talking about you, then, because I think this is really interesting for people to hear at home, you know, people that aren't operating at the elite level of global sport. What have you taken from listening to the High Performance Podcast? Um, I think that everyone's running their own race. I think everyone has sort of got their own story, um, has been through uh, lots of very similar things and in lots of different um, sort of backgrounds, whether that be sport, business, um, in the army. Um, you sort of the same problems arise and the same sort of um, sort of sometimes struggles um, and they're just sort of packaged differently. That's how it sort of comes across to me. Um, and I think there's some great lessons and, and sometimes, you know, I think you can listen and think you have to agree with everything, but also, you know, it's actually that, you know, I listen to someone and respect their opinion, but actually think, you know what, for me, that isn't quite how I would, I'd want to do it. So, so it can confirm things that I believe and, and also sort of confirm things that I don't believe. So based on the episodes you've listened to, the, the life that you've lived, the career that you've had, as you sit here talking to us today, what to you defines high performance um yeah so i've obviously thought about that for a while with this question but i think for me um high performance is is authenticity i think that's one of the key words that i feel like i've learned over time about being the best version of myself um and in whatever format that may be you know as obviously in in sport as a professional cricketer that is you know can i be the best version of myself um consistently every day for for myself and, and my teammates and then of course in in home life as well you know now a father of two young girls you know can I be an authentic dad I think so I think that's a really sort of strong word for me and I think when I feel like I'm performing at my best um you know I'm, I'm being myself so was there a period in your career and this is not a criticism of you but life is a process right we change we adapt we evolve all the time was there a period you can look back on now and think you know what that wasn't an authentic period in my career for me yeah I think so and I think um I can sort of feel myself sort of dipping in and out of like what I feel is that my best version and, and what I feel like isn't and that, that's a constant process still and I, I think the the version of myself that is isn't as good is when I sort of try and please people I try and do what I believe is what other people want me to do or try and sort of in cricket examples like listen to a a coach or a fellow player saying you should do it like this you should play like this and and I sort of go away from maybe how I certainly want to play the the 2015 ashes series was a, a big one for me in in terms of that i i certainly built that series up to be much more than than i'd ever built any series up before we're playing australia all the history of of ashes series and um i'd never experienced that build up before and, and i sort of took myself away from what i'm good i start to worry about the opposition a lot more sort of to worry about how i was meant to prepare um trying to please certain people and and i think that was a yeah, I, I got left out of the team not long after that. And um, you know, so when you get to those sort of low points, I think that's generally where you sort of can reflect and review and, and learn a lot about um, what went right or wrong during that period. So tell us more about that period then, Joss, in terms of what were the kind of messages you were hearing and what changes did you try and uh, accommodate 
Yeah, so I think for me, test cricket's always been the biggest challenge. I'm, I'm much more of a natural white ball cricketer, but certainly felt like I had the great potential in, in test cricket. And I, I got picked a lot on, on that potential. Um, and I think a lot of people assumed I would play in a very similar, carefree, um, attacking style. Um, but certainly I found that very difficult in, in test cricket, especially in England. Um, but going into that Ashes, I... Um, it was just when um, sort of Mitchell Johnson had, had been bowling brilliantly well, obviously in the series before in Australia, um, Mitchell Stark, another left armour. Uh, and I started to worry about, you know, how they were going to get me out. I'm going to get out like this. I'm going to get out like that. How should I counter it? People were telling me you can't play certain shots against these bowlers. They're high risk. That's how you're going to get out. And I was, just got in a very negative mindset about, you know, the way I was going to go and play and, and I'm wicketkeeper as well. And, and I certainly felt in a, obviously in a cricket team, there's only one wicketkeeper. And I certainly felt the pressure of that. That was wicketkeeping my weaker suit of, of the two. And I uh, worried about missing a chance or something. You know, there's obviously 11 other guys who are going to bat. And then when I was working on my batting, it was with a very negative <laughs> mindset. So um, I just took my eye off, off the right area and it actually turned out the off spinner, Nathan Lyon, was the guy I had the most trouble with. And he's the one, you know, I didn't spend as much time worrying about. So what, so what big lessons have you taken from that? 2015 period of your life then that that uh, that you've mitigated to make sure you don't you don't fall into that trap again yeah i think uh, again sort of um the way you learn i think is is a really important thing i think you know the way i learn now is like i said at the start um how i'm more comfortable with agreeing or disagreeing with with something i think at the start i, I sort of in a thirst for information you know almost took too much on board and sort of that clouded myself or, and i believed everything i thought you know and, and at times, you know, with guys like just because they have a name um, from the sport and and have done great things in the game doesn't mean they're always right. And I, I think I fell in that trap of I'd listen to great players talk about what worked for them and believe I had to to do that. But instead of having a really good filter and, and sort of filtering through stuff that go, you know, that's good for me. Maybe that's not so good. Uh, that confirms that this is my best way to prepare or my best thinking. Um and so having the discipline, I think, in learning, I think that, that discipline is a word I, I tend to come back to a lot and, and also balance, you know, sort of having nice balance. So just tell us about the filters then of your listening now. So tell us what are the kind of questions you ask yourself that determines whether you're going to believe the message or whether you're going to filter it and explore it. So I think it's it's having um, the humility to sort of say, you know, opinions are only opinions. And obviously there's certain things that are going to be based around fact as well. But um, I think one thing I sort of have to do is have I listened to the argument? I think have I listened to it properly or, um, you know, do I take that in? Can I take that in with a balanced view, I guess? Um, and then actually taking more trust on myself and saying, right, I've listened to that for five minutes or whatever. Um, I might try it in the net. So I might sort of mull over it for a little while and then actually when I make a decision on something so if I've given it a balanced view then I've got to trust my decision and actually sort of really feel like take the ownership over that and and I've after that 2015 ashes come way to around it if I'm going to fail I prefer to fail on my own terms and so instead of sort of being able to blame someone else I love this idea of failing on your own terms and I'm I'm reminded of um a friend's son in fact my godson a young guy called uh, George Herring, a, a really passionate, very young cricketer. And I think that, you know, he will be trying to filter at his age all the information from his coaches and his teachers and his teammates and social media and his friends and everything else. And and I look at you, Joss, and I just think you're someone in so many ways ploughing your own furrow. So if you fail, you fail in your own terms. I think even the way that we look at your career now, you know, here in the UK, we put test cricket above everything else, right? And you're not involved in the England test side at the moment. Yet we're still a bit sniffy and a and a bit questioning of the IPL. Yet you're out there in the IPL and you've just been the best player on the global stage in what for me is the most exciting cricket setup in the world. I think we should be far more embracing of the IPL and we should be celebrating it and looking how, you know, across the world it can be emulated. Um, so do you feel this sense of maybe being a sort of a bit of a lone soldier, ploughing your own furrow, not necessarily just doing things that please the press and and the the hierarchy and the um and the establishment in a way i think that there's a couple of guys come before me in that so i'd say kevin peterson was was certainly um you know huge in that and at the time when when he was sort of 
um, championing the IPL and um, you know le- lots of different things got labelled against him. And uh, you know, sort of now you look back ten years or whatever, however long it was, you think, wow, he was he was so right about it. And and actually, the transformation in England's white ball cricket post the 2015 World Cup, a lot of that's come off the back of our players experiencing the IPL, experiencing the pressure um, that you're faced with in India, experiencing that uh, intense environment um, and obviously the, the quality of that cricket and you know, really learning about that. So I'd say KP was certainly one who took a lot of, of flack on, on that sense. Um, you know, Owen Morgan is, again, someone who I think is very comfortable in, in like you said, ploughing his own furrow. He's very... Um, you know, very black and white in the way he sees things. He's very logical. Um, he's a fantastic leader. He's the, the sort of best captain I've I've played for. Um, someone I you know, really respect a lot. And I think it, you know, just spending time with him and listening to him talk things out like that, you sort of um, really understand that that logic behind it. And and like you say, the the game is certainly going that way. Um, for me, we're, we're very lucky in England. Test cricket will always be incredibly well supported, and and is a, such a fantastic. Uh, game and it's I think for the players especially it's the one that's like a real true test of of great players um however you know, t20 cricket and the IPL is is not going anywhere it's gaining serious traction it's great to hear you praising test cricket like that and as we record this podcast um the press is full of questions about whether Joss is on his way back into the England setup would you mind sharing with us in in all its brutal honesty what it is like when as an Englishman who would have grown up watching and being absorbed by Test cricket, what's it like that moment when you're told that you're not wanted in in that area? It's tough. So the first time I got dropped from the Test side, um, it actually came with quite a lot of relief. Um, you know, I think uh, I'd been having that 2015 Ashes. Um, we went to Dubai to play against Pakistan, and I dropped a pretty regulation catch down like and just looking for the ground to sort of swallow me up and, and get me out of here. I just finding it too tough in a way. And, and of course, as a professional sportsman, you never want to admit that you, you need a break or you need to be left out of the team. But at that sense, it came with a lot of relief um, because I knew something had to change. And um, in a way, you know, I felt like I shouldn't be selected and sort of just through, through performance, I think, you know, I just felt like I wasn't warranting my, my place in the team. Um, and you build these things up that you believe, you know, your teammates are all talking about it or thinking about it. It's, it's in the press. Yet when I got left out, you know, two days later, no one's talking about you ever again. It's like moved. On. So you, very quickly, you realise that okay, I wasn't the centre of the universe. My form uh, in doesn't hold weight in everyone's single conversation around the world. And in the truest respect, you, you're pretty irrelevant. And and that was a big relief and a great realisation. I think moving forward into my career of um, how I must let cricket sit in what you know, is, is the right place for me. Um, it's really important. It's my job. I love playing it, but it's not the be all and end all. So tell us about that then, Josh, because the courage to sometimes go to your coaches and say, I need to protect my mental health here, or I need to a bit of time out to, uh, just for myself. seems to me to take a lot of courage. It's a path less trodden. So tell us about how you go about protecting your own mental health. Yeah, so just going back, I, I was left out with that. I didn't ask to be left out. I just, I, I knew it was coming. But um, I think that certainly in the last few years, that sort of mental well-being has become a much uh, bigger conversation. Um, people really, you know, looking after themselves, being a lot more honest. Um, you know, like I say, sharing a dressing room with with men your whole life. It's um, a lot of guys are quite closed books, but there's been some really, I'd say, key uh, influential guys who've, who've opened up um, and talked about that. Obviously, Ben Stokes is a, a really recent one who's you know, probably the most well-known cricketer in the country. Um, and going back quite a few years, Marcus Truscothic wrote a brilliant book on on that stuff. So that's it's become more of a conversation. I think people naturally feel more comfortable about uh, asking for help or just being honest with saying, you know, look, I, I feel like I've got a bit of a problem talking it out and then you actually move past it you know you've got to acknowledge that there's something there before you can you can get over it and that's certainly something I've learned whether it's mental well-being or something in your cricket environment or your game unless you can acknowledge that and and take action against it then you, you don't really move past it so can you tell us then some of the tricks that you've used or some of the techniques that you now employ to keep that sense of perspective to allow cricket to sit as part of your life rather than consume it yeah, certainly. Um, you know, the most recent one is obviously family. You know, having two children now um, who have no idea 
really what I do. Um, you know, that certainly gives a great perspective. They just, you know, you come home or you get off the field and you've got a video there and you think, okay, it's, it doesn't matter that much. And, and I don't know, someone told me as well to just pick up a newspaper one day and, and start at the start. And by the time you get to the sport pages, you'll, re- you'll realize that actually there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that that is is a lot more serious or a lot more um having a bigger effect than than my form in in cricket so um that's another one and and i like to sort of journal and and write things down um you know pre pre pre-match um just as sort of plans and and sometimes post-match or just on a day off just to write down some some thoughts because sometimes you might not have the right person around you who you you want to talk to or they're not available on the end of the phone so so just to write a few things down and feels like it get it off your chest quite helps and what does that do for you the journaling i think again just um a bit of a release um i'd say just to sort of see my thoughts almost down on a page and, and you can then sort of because generally in that sense it's, it's when they're, they're more negative than positive you know i like to it's been an important thing that someone said to write down a sort of mind stew of when things are going really well um you know what is so when you're at your best and then when you get to that sort of next you can sort of balance them out and see okay if i just reword that one or change that that's actually an opportunity for growth i can get back into a better mindset from that or or some of them you actually just look at and think that's just ridiculous why are you thinking that uh and you almost just sort of cross it out so can you give us a specific example then joss of of like where you've changed one or two sentences that you've seen written down that has subsequently shifted your perspective and had an impact on your performance yeah so i'd say really recently at the ipl so i had a brilliant first half first seven games that went you know exceeded all my expectations um and then suddenly i got to the point where you know there's a bit more noise on the outside it was like can he go on to break records or, you know is he going to keep hold of the orange cap and and these are all things that you know i didn't want to think you know it was like you know you shouldn't be thinking this kind of thing it's selfish it's not you and i didn't want to share it because i was worried almost about what people would would think about that as well um and actually it took me a chance to go and you know, speak to one of the coaches and say, look, this sounds awful, but I'm actually thinking about all the things that people are right. You know, am I going to break the record? How many runs is he going to end up with? And I'm going away from all the team things. And, and actually, you know, my best thing is going out and playing the situation, doing what's required for the team. That's my perfect sort of thing. And I, and until I actually verbalized that and spoke about it, and it was a big, and, and actually then, you know, he spoke back to me about, you know, well, what is that lesson that's giving you? Um, and also, you know, writing down that oh, I'm worried that I've had two low scores, and so we've already scored three hundreds in the tournament. You know, whatever happens from here, you've you've had some great times. So rewording that pressure of what happens if I fail, it's almost as actually um, what happens if it goes right. You know, what if you you have another great day on top of this? What um, so just flipping that perception and and having that's actually a really good word that I, I uh, you know spend a lot of time. I think you know worrying about the next day and sort of thinking what if it goes wrong, but certainly in the last few years especially tried to flip that into well what if tomorrow's a great day it's so interesting isn't it Joss? because i think if you went back to the 11 year old in the back garden playing cricket you think if i just play for england i will just be happy and it's only when you when you get to that point and you're playing for your country you're playing for your club you, you know you're at the top of the world yet it's still not simple is it it almost becomes more complicated i think in some ways the, the more success you have yeah i'd agree with that um and uh you know i think that's actually something i worked on i, I came across um a performance coach at the ipl a guy called anand chilani and, and the conversation actually started talking about the chipping yips and like how i could sort of get rid of the chipping yips in my golf um but you know, in time we came around to cricket and we sort of did a bit on sort of self-awareness and sort of what is actually me and and so the big thing we came back to is is a playful kid um you know eleven year old self who played the game because he loved it loved the social element of it loved hitting a ball loved trying to hit sixes or and all those things and and trying to reconnect with that and of course you know as it becomes your job the pressure is absolutely different is different and um but as much as you can to try and reconnect with that sort of pure version of yourself um I think it's been a really powerful tool for me. It sounds like such an interesting journey. It reminds me, Damien, Damien put a picture up on his Instagram earlier today, actually, and it was a picture of the world, like two photos of the world, of the whole earth. And it said, 
the earth before you make a mistake and the earth after you make a mistake and they look identical. And I think it's just, it, it feels just like it's been a really interesting journey for you and a brilliant, and by the way, thank you very much for sharing this with the people that are listening to this because there'll be lots of young people listening to this that are right in the center now of where you would have been six, seven, eight years ago when things had gone quicker than you could ever imagine and you hadn't necessarily developed the kind of mental dexterity to deal with it. And I think sometimes we forget that actually you're a better cricketer now for dealing with all of those things away from the cricket field, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's, again, sort of when Damien asked about what a few of those things that you write down, like you said, I'm actually, you know, I'm now the best cricketer I've ever been at, at this point. So you know, I've got all more tools. I've got, like you said, eight, 10 more years experience to fall back on and lessons I've learned. So I'm in a much better place to deal with things than I ever have been. So how much do you now just trust the process, Joss? I think England is a really interesting conversation for us to have. Like, do you write things down about how you're going to get back into the England setup? Do you just play cricket to the best of your ability? And I know that that's the cliche that all professional sports people tell the media, I'll just take it one game at a time and let that take care of itself. What is your approach to, to being England test player again, for example, now? Yeah, to be honest, it's not something I'm I'm thinking loads about. You know, obviously there's a, you know Stokes and McCullum, a, a sort of new partnership at the top, and sitting as a fan, I find that incredibly exciting. Um, let alone how much the players must feel about that as well. So, um, but like there's with cricket, like you said, now there's there's opportunity all around the world in different things, and um, I'm very fortunate to have played as much Test cricket as I have. Um, if that ever comes again or not. We'll never know, but certainly um, feel lucky to have played. So I'm in a position now where, like I said, there's there's great opportunities. I'm still playing for England in in the white ball teams, so that's I think a, a big help. You know, I think if I'd been dropped from, you know, England and I never had the chance to pull on an England jersey again, that that would be a much different conversation to be trying to deal with. And how does that thinking compare to the first time you weren't involved in the test team? Probably a lot better, I think, in terms of. Having played a lot more games now, and you know, still not really fulfilled my potential for sure, but been a better version and, and done a few more bits in sort of infrequently. Whereas you know, the first time I got dropped, you know, it was sort of well, I've not given a great account of myself. I tried to do it all wrong. You know, what if that chance never comes again? And the stress of yeah, you know, I, I, I messed it up, and um, I should have done this, this, this. Um, whereas now, I certainly feel much more like that failing on my own terms i've given it a great crack i tried is there more to give potentially um but if there's not no i'm, I'm happy with, with the sort of what i put in so we did a really fascinating interview last year just with um johanna conta the british tennis player that that told us about writing messages to herself on a racket so some of it might be about enjoy the enjoy the ride remember to look up and uh, and just enjoy looking at the sky and things like that and that was her way of reminding herself to be grateful and to keep that sense of perspective now i'm interested in on your on your part it's maybe <laughs> i thought i knew where you're going yeah, with this. on your part it's a little bit more pragmatic the language of reminding yourself just to fuck it would you tell us a little bit about the process of that and what that means to you yeah so um i write that on the top of of every bat i've got um, and I actually was born with a, a sports psychologist called Mark Borden, who was um, with the England team um, you know, when I first started. Um, and the same kind of like we talked about this process of I'd been in the T20 team. I hadn't you know, had much opportunity, but I hadn't showed certainly showcased what I was um, capable of. And I was talking to him about this and, and he just basically said, what what is the best how do you feel or what do you think about when you play a big shot or when you're in your perfect flow? What does it feel like? And I said, I literally just think, fuck it, I'm going to commit and go for it. Um, and we were doing something around that sort of inverted youth, that arousal um, state. And and basically just just two words that was just so simple to link into, you know, what is going to get me to the best day. And, and actually crosses over into quite a lot of different things now. Like you spoke about sort of failing on your own terms. I can be like, fuck it, I've done that. Or if I do I trust my decision or do I uh, certainly, you know, being at the non-strikers end is generally when you do a bit of thinking time in, in, uh, in the game. So just to be able to look down and, and sort of see that message that was sort of, you know, very black and white, it basically just means commit to it. Can you think of a moment where you've 
you've needed it and you've looked at it, seen it, and it's it's helped you with the outcome? Uh, actually, in the World Cup final. Um, so we were chasing um, those runs at Lords in, in 2019 and the field was set. Um, and I don't know how much you know about Crick, but a, a ramp shot, basically a bit of a risky shot over the wicketkeeper, but there was a, a huge gap there. Uh, and I was thinking about it for a little while. I was like, you know, if this was any other game but the World Cup final, I'd go for it. Um, it would, wouldn't even be cross my mind. It's a shot I'm brilliant at. Um, you know, you just play it instinctively. It's the right time. Go for it. Uh, and I was thinking, oh, but it's the World Cup final. What if you get out? Um, you know, it's, it's the last chance. And and actually, that sort of fuck it, commit to it. It's the right. You've gone through. Is this the right option? Absolutely. 100% commitment and, and, and it came off. So, um, no, I think that was just a great lesson about sort of no matter what the um, situation either, if you can, if you, if you go through that sort of decision-making process and you're fully committed, then it's the right decision to make. And have you got an example in the real world as well when you've had to remind yourself, you know what, this might not be on the cricket field, but same approach. Talking in front of groups, um, I'd say... I'm I'm a bit of a quiet guy. I'm, I'm probably naturally quite introverted, but I, I feel like I'm always quite comfortable talking in front of a group and and sharing my opinion. Um, especially in in a cricket environment in the dressing room, I think I I can do that. But more so, like outside, whether it's with a group of friends or uh, meeting people in um, you know business, we sort of think. Um, now I don't have any businesses, but meeting business people who you know, you assume that they know more than you um you're not worthy to sort of challenge their way of thinking or whatever so to actually be like no fuck it like commit to what you think um no questions a stupid question you, you ask it um so that's certainly an area it sort of crops into as well hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm interested in exploring this idea of authenticity that you've described, because I think everything you've said builds up to this, Josh. So the idea of when you're at your best, that is when you thrive and decide and committing to something completely. But I'm also struck by that people describe you as being calm and being quite quiet and being very humble. And yet you also have this image from the outside of being like a super focused you know, your your description is one of the most dangerous batsmen uh, on the planet. Do you feel that you have to adopt a certain mask when you play cricket as opposed to when you're at home with your daughters? And how do you go about assuming that identity? Yeah, I think your identity can be the same, actually, to be honest. I think um, in terms of when I'm at home, that I just try and be dad and husband and a friend to be, just be myself again, like you said. Um, you know, that's when I'm at my best. And the same, that same person plays cricket, just in a different style. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, for me, I'm an in incredibly competitive person. I think, you know, I might be sometimes seen as a quiet or softly spoken, but, you know, that competitive streak is, is incredibly strong. Um, so coming into, you know, cricket, I feel like you know, I have a level of confidence in my own ability as well that, you know, when I work hard and practice hard, I, and if I operate at my intensity, I can match, if not better, um, the rest of the world kind of mentality um, at the time. But um, I certainly hold that. But uh, in terms of that calmness and the way I think that presence on the field and, and trying to perceive that is uh, one sense a bit natural and then two sort of learned through role models um so in in cricket Mahendra Singh Dhoni who was captain of India for for a long time um sort of captain cool I love that you know every, anyone knows about Indian cricket the level of interest and the chaos around it how he managed to stay incredibly level what it looked like from the outside I, I was always really drawn to that um, and I guess Roger Federer is another I watched him play tennis I just thought his his demeanor and personality on on court, I thought it was fantastic. Um, and so to sort of try and emulate that, that kind of calm, consistent kind of thing on a field. 
So tell us about mentors then. So you've described two really powerful examples, like one from within your world and one from outside it. Who do you go to for advice and what's the best piece they've ever given you? Um, I think so, so within within cricket, I think my wife's a great one. She'll give me very honest, honest advice. Um, so when I get a bit caught up in my own world of, of stuff and that kind of, um, no, I just want to do this. I need to do this. It's like, well, everyone's trying to do that. Like come back to, um, yourself. And, and I think Neil Fairbrother's another good one. You know, he is, he's my agent, but it doesn't feel um, right to describe him as an agent really. He's more of a, a mentor and a friend. He's looked after me for, for, 12 years now I think uh, and someone who played cricket for England and, and Lancashire as well so uh, he's someone I always turn to and we talk a, a lot about cricket um, you know, we agree on some things definitely disagree on, on certain things and and I think the best piece of advice and I don't know who would have told me this is, is that there's no secret there's no person who's going to come along and tell you this one thing that's going to make you score 100 every time or be brilliant every single day um, it's all about hard work, determination, consistency. Um, a lot of the things you you guys talk about on the podcast a lot. And I, and the other really good thing is to think is sometimes I sort of a lesson for myself. You know, I listen to you know a guest come on and talk, and I, I sort of walk away inspired and feeling sort of ten foot tall, and that's great. And then you know wake up the next day, and I don't feel like that. So sort of realizing that you can listen to things and get great advice or hear things, but it's a constant daily uh, process you have to go through just because suddenly you've heard someone talk, you know, brilliantly and really inspiring doesn't mean that now you're fixed. You know, you've got to keep doing that every day and, and work away at it. Some days will feel better than others. And um, I think that's another good learning I've taken. And I, I love the fact that you journal because I think that it's such a powerful tool for so many people. On the days when you do wake up and you feel a bit weak or you ask questions of yourself or you think you're struggling slightly, what is the thing that can help get you out of that? What is the what is it you remind yourself of in those situations? Um, that tomorrow could be a great day. One is is a big one. Um, you're going back to the that 2015 period of of the Ashes getting dropped from just um, in Pakistan there in Dubai against Pakistan. So feeling like you know I haven't scored a run for six months, um, and then suddenly in in an ODI, literally a week later, um, I scored a hundred off. 50 balls, probably the best I've ever batted in my life. Uh, and just sort of that realisation after I was like, where's that come from? You know, I've had no form. I've had no sort of um, inkling that an innings like that was around the corner. Um, and just that realisation of like, you're never, ever far away from a great day. So that's a, that's certainly something. And it takes time, you know, on some days it's five minutes and you get back to that place. And sometimes it might take hours and hours before you finally believe yourself it can be a hard one for a lot of people though. And I think um, it's just a good reminder for people listening to this, that, you know, living with regret is never a, a very healthy way to be. And I, th and we love the phrase on this podcast and you may well have heard us talk about it, Joss, that just because something is hard for you, it doesn't mean it's bad for you. And actually, you know, the fact that the, that 2015 decision by the selectors has cropped up a few times in this conversation, whilst we are discussing a person who it could be argued is the most informed cricketer in the world at the moment, it's all part of your story. Those struggles and those failures and those setbacks and those difficult times may well be part of the reason why you've got such strength at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said before, everyone's like running their own race. You know, it's um, everyone's in d a different mindset at a certain time. I think one hard thing to always find is is time will help. It also, you know, things can change over time. And, you know, we always want to accelerate that as quick as we can and get to that place. And of course, you know, listen to the Joe Wicks one recently, you know, he said, I'm a 10 year overnight success story. I mean, you know, that time it takes sometimes to get to the place you, you want, but that mission, um, you know, of, of his or that why is never sort of varied. And that is because life is a, is constant exploration. So how important is exploration to you? Really important. And I think it's been a big part of, of my game. Um, I think curiosity is, a, is one of those things. Um, you know, in terms of, cricket that like you said that uh, you know there's a lot of um things that people do in cricket just because everyone's done that and sort of having the curiosity sometimes to challenge that or say you know why can't you you do it differently um i mentioned kevin peterson and owen morgan before i thought they were sort of pioneers in, in the way they played you know some of the stuff kevin peterson did in the test match you would you'd never ever see 
people do that before and it was inspiring um you know all these sort of sweeps and reverse sweeps and these kind of shots so that curiosity and, and innovation was something that sat really well with me and I was interested in can you do it differently um and I think to embrace change as well you know change is a constant thing in in life you know it's always so sometimes especially I've sort of feel like I've recently learned that in terms of sometimes would look back at you know great performance can I sort of emulate that perfectly can I do exactly the same thing can I have exactly the same thought process can I do but actually you have to accept the change you know you're now on a different day you might feel a little bit different within your game um your sort of level of flow and state can still be pretty constant but you're allowed to hit the ball in different areas or think different thoughts sometimes or so embracing change at times and and I think they like said in cricket you know we have to embrace the change that's that's happening a lot in in our sport at the minute so how do you go about doing that? What tips could you offer our listeners, Josh, on being creative to embrace change more effectively? I think the curiosity is one. You're sort of challenging convention and, and sort of asking why. Um, you know, kids are great at that, aren't they? You, know, you ask why all the time, and it's actually such a pure form of such an easy question, like, well, why do we do that? Why is that something? So um, that's one one certain thing. And, and I think for me, trying to find ways in – in whatever your business or your sport or your home life or whatever, to experiment, you know, to try things and, and sort of see if it works, see if it doesn't. So, you know, sorry, to come back to myself, a great way for me to do it is just to go to the nets and, and bat in the nets with no consequence. Um, it doesn't matter if I get out every single ball. It doesn't matter if I hit every ball for six, but that's an area I can experiment and try and, and be creative. And that links back to that sort of playful kid kind of mentality that we spoke about before. I don't know if you've, if you've read the book, Joss, but there's a brilliant book called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. Have you read it? No, I haven't, no. You would like it. It's, it's a fantastic book. And I, 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 sitting and having this conversation with you, you know, you've listened to a lot of these podcasts and we have such an interesting and fascinating variety of people. And some are very keen to come on and talk and share their views and they're forthright about it. And, you know, you're on a podcast about you where you're the guest and you've just apologised for talking about yourself, which I think is a fascinating insight into someone who apologises for talking about themselves, but can then stand at the crease with the whole world watching in a World Cup final and deliver a, a shot and a moment that, that really matters. So as someone who, and you've described yourself as an introvert, have you had to educate people or have you seen the world change around you that just because someone is quiet, it doesn't mean that, that their opinion or their belief or their voice isn't valid? And I come at this as the father of an amazing seven-year-old boy who is quiet and people are forever saying, oh, talking about him almost like it's a problem. Oh, he's very quiet, isn't he? Well, because that's Sebastian. Like that's, that's who he is and his life can still be incredible despite that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I see it as a position of strength and confidence quite a lot that you don't have to outwardly tell people how great you are or, or try and prove or be the loudest voice in the room just to um, actually see it as a huge area of confidence when people can sort of withhold themselves and, and be comfortable with who they are. Um, and I think that's going to be a, a huge challenge for children you know, moving forward. We live in a, such a different age now, don't we, with the social media age of, of that stuff sort of portraying a perfect life and stuff but um no i see it as a great position of strength i think there's you know natural leaders that you sort of can i've played in lots of different teams and it's not always the loudest ones who are the ones who are most followed was there a time where you thought you had to be loud to be a leader um i'd say at times they're like thinking they were the more obvious leaders yeah i'd say um sort of probably more at school you know i thought it was like you know the louder guys are the the cooler ones or have the most friends or um seem to be the most popular or whatever and and uh actually that you know certainly leave school and realize that what a load of rubbish that is and um yeah i think some of the the best leaders i've, I've played for are incredibly you know you have they're inspiring even if they're not loud it might be actions the, the way they they work um they're incredibly competent you know what they do and uh you know the just incredibly honest you know when you do ask for their opinion or they they tell it to you straight um so you know you're going to get you know that consistent um you know message or they're going to be honest with you so you described before then just around like owen morgan was the best leader that you played in i'm interested what type of culture and environment in that dressing room did they put those best leaders create to get the best out of the the majority of people sat within them 
Yeah, so it's, you know, the white ball team is probably the easiest one for me to you know, give that example of, which Owen is captain of and, and still is, you know, for now been sort of nearly seven years. Uh, and he, Trevor Bayliss and, and Andrew Strauss sort of completely flipped on its head the way white ball cricket was played in England. We were very conservative. We we sort of played it safe and, and hoped to win, basically. Uh, whereas you know, they sort of created a mindset of we're going to be at the other, completely other end of that. We're going to be more expansive than any team in, in the world. We're going to take more risk than anyone else. We're going to um, you know, really commit to that. And and if we do that, we'll have more success than than we do a at the time and, and over time it will be incredibly successful and and owen has has always been a um a bit of a pioneer in the way he played um but he's asking guys to do that and then would go out and and show that straight away as a you know third ball he'll be running down trying to smack a guy over his head and you think well if our captain's doing that and he's that's okay we're all going to follow that lead and and it suited a lot of guys to play in a very expansive and aggressive way and and I think the the best thing about it is when it went wrong, they didn't waver from from that message. Um, so everyone can champion things when it's going right, can't they? And say, this is brilliant. We just do this. This is how we play. But when we would be challenged from the outside, say the media or or someone, yeah, I think they take too much risk or they need to get smarter or they need to do this. No, Owen's messaging back was incredibly consistent. No, this is the way we play. We 100% believe in it. We're going to uh, commit to it. Um, whatever happens um, and that I think for the dressing room just you know, gives great sense of belief that you know even when we, you know, we we didn't win the game or whatever you know he's telling us to go on and, and keep playing and, and get better and do it even you know, come back even better. There's a really sort of interesting balance in your career where you play in a team sport but there's a there's also that reliance on the individual, whether it's making sure that, you know, you take the catch behind the wickets or whether it's you to hit the winning run as you've done so often in the in, in the amazing career that you've had. When did you realise, because I think coming through school, you were, you know, you would have been the number one, so it's all about you. When did you realise that actually it can still be all about you at certain times, but the, the strength of the team is about the power of working all together, not as a collection of individuals? Yeah, cricket's a really interesting one for that. Like you say, it's a sort of individual game played within a team environment. So, um, but no, that World Cup team is is the one I can sort of really think about that. Everyone sort of had a clear role as to how they were going to play. And and one of the best things for me in that tournament um, was that we, we'd lost a couple of games. We lost to Sri Lanka, we lost to Australia, and we went to, to Edgebaston needing to beat India to stay in the tournament. And we actually had a really open sort of, team meeting before before the training the day before and and everyone just sort of spoke about how they were feeling um even the coaches sort of shared what they were thinking and, and guys who were sat on the sidelines not in the 11 and it was really powerful you know some people you know I was sort of like God, was you know feel like you know we're going to get knocked out of our own tournament I'm worried about sort of you know we've missed a great chance and then someone like Jason Roy was like well if we win four games in a row we win the world cup it's as simple as that and sort of that was a great thing to hear that different people were thinking different things. And then the best thing for me was that we we went out in that game and Jason Roy and Johnny Bairstow opened the batting for England and and they played in exactly the fashion that we played for for five, four or five years before that. So sorry, four years before that. Incredibly aggressive, incredibly positive, um, through caution to the wind. And I just remember watching those two two guys bat thinking this is awesome. You know, we we may even go on to lose this game, but in our time of sort of greatest pressure as a team that we've faced in the last four years, um, in a time of sort of greatest need, these two guys have gone out and sort of taken the ultra positive aggression and been really true to who we were as a team. So you've you've explained there what was created. What we we're really interested in is how was that atmosphere created in that team? Yeah, so uh, how I'd say in it's that that continuity of message i guess um from from again sort of over that four year period of of this is how we would like to play as a team um the trust given the giving guys more games than they were used to probably sort of someone you know obviously when you're taking more risk um there's there's that more chance that you're going to get out for a low score or you're going to sort of fail and then but actually they detach themselves from the result. I'd say the captain and selectors of, you know, he only scored 10 or he only scored 20 instead of 50. But actually that 20 he played in exactly the fashion we're asking him to play in. Um, he was incredibly... So you know, if we keep giving him that length, um, 
a longer rope and we continue to give the same message to him and trust him and back him, he will repay us in time as opposed to changing that message and saying, actually, you know, we need you to bat a little bit longer here or we need you to score a few more runs or don't take as much risk. It was never that message I feel like from the top never wavered. And I think that's how you sort of created a really um, consistent and positive environment. So can I ask you then around the art of switching off, Josh, because you've mentioned a couple of times there that, that you're obviously a father of two young daughters. And I can imagine that, you know, you've just been away for 11 weeks in the IPL. They're incredibly tough for you on a personal level. What ideas or techniques have you learned about the ability to switch off from your professional life and switch back onto your personal life? It's, it's always a, again a bit of a constant one, a bit of constant evolving. Um, at certain times, it feels easier to switch off with, say, reading or watching films or <laughs> some mind-numbing Netflix that you just sort of trash TV sort of get into. And uh, of course, when I'm at home, I think that's when it's the easiest because uh, I literally, have, you know, you get that sense of guilt at times that you, you've been away and you just want to immerse yourself in in being home and and sort of spending as much time as I can playing and. Um, just watching them develop and being around them. So that's that's probably the easiest. It's probably harder, you know, when you're away. And more so in we've we've spent a lot of time in um like a COVID bubble environment where you you can't leave the hotel. Once you're in, you do some quarantine and then you're in until it's the end of of the tournament or the series. Um so instead of you know those simple things of sort of at the end of a day's play being like, right, let's just go for some dinner and you sort of switch off and, and think about stuff. So that stuff is impossible so that's been harder to to do um haven't really explained any sort of techniques that i'm using there but um i think context is key yeah so you know trying to find different things that you're interested in i, I love sport so you know the weekends are great for me when I, I love watching the sport whether it's you know the football the f1 or something rugby's on telly and, and sort of watching that to try and escape my my world or, or my thoughts i guess but what does it actually do for you? Because I think a lot of people feel to become the best in the world, they've got to be switched on all the time. You know, it's a constant improvement, you know. Yeah, I think it gives you energy, actually. I think it gives you, you much more motivation. So I, I got left out of the um, test team to the West Indies just before the IPL. And I just kind of knew that was going to happen and I was fine with that. I left the Ashes uh, with a broken finger and I actually didn't pick up a cricket bat for two months before I went to the IPL and I just had, pure time I just needed an escape from the game I didn't want to I had no interest in actually picking up a bat and, and I think that's again sort of having that trust and listening to yourself to say I, I probably you know like you said if you're trying to get better at something you need to do more of it actually you know for me it was the case of the opposite I needed to do absolutely nothing to do with it um you know went on holiday which you know travel a lot but actually going on a, a, a real holiday is very few and far between that was great um just spending time with with family um and having a real es es escape from it so then i felt like when i turned up in india i started batting again i was like, oh, i remember why i love doing this i had so much energy and, and motivation um for it and i think that's a good lesson in terms of cricket you think right i need to get better i need to go to the nets more well, well maybe you need to have more balance maybe you need to work more on the mental side of your game maybe you need to work more on your fitness it, it doesn't just have to be the skill that is actually gonna um improve your performance it could be certain other little aspects that are gonna then transfer into your game so we hear lots of people then that we've interviewed on the podcast josh talk around like the mental the physical the tactical and the technical and they often talk about balance in relation to uh to those four areas is there anything else that we're missing that we need to incorporate in our sense of balance not really that i can think of that i think it's probably going to be a little bit different for for everyone as to what those exact things you know whether like say if it's sport or your home life or things like, i i really believe in balance i, I think it's really, now i know there'll have been people on the the podcast who You've had great success through being, you know, incredibly sort of unbalanced and selfish, and 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 I know I play a selfish game already, and I'm, I try and maybe I'm just trying to make myself feel better by thinking I have balance. But um, <laughs> you know, I think that's incredibly healthy for me. Um, it's something I, I kind of strive for. So 
you know working out what that looks like to you and and actually if it's if it doesn't if you want to be the best snooker player in the world and you think you need to practice for 10 hours a day every day and and that's you really believe that and commit to that then maybe you know that's what's going to get get you there we're about to move on to our quick fire questions joss but before we do that i'd love to know if there's one if you would point us in the direction of one thing that we don't know about you or one area that we haven't yet tapped into that you think people listening to this podcast need to understand um i'd say it's is that sort of determined competitive side i think the probably the best thing you could do is come and watch me play warm-up football or run around like roy Keane, sh- shouting at people and trying to hack people's legs down so that, that i think just sort of people <laughs> see that i do have a different side um to me that's where um or if i've had a few drinks that sort of side can come out a bit more but uh yeah i remember sort of the the press asking me about that once in a, in a media interview after a game in Bangladesh and I just sort of said well maybe you don't know me that well then because I'd had a bit of a, a flashpoint with a player in the opposition um, but uh, yeah I'd certainly say there's you know that sort of side to me, me doesn't get talked about as much. And how important is that side? Incredibly important I think if I lose that I wouldn't have the drive and determination to to play and try and be the best and to try and um, do you know become as good as I can. Um, so if I think if I lose that, it's probably when I know it's, you know, my time has come. But how do you manage it so you harness the power of that, that mongrel mentality without it crossing up? <laughs> yeah, I quite like that. Without um, it, yeah, without it crossing you been, over. You've been, how, much you, how often have you been called a mongrel? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean though, Josh, no one's said. Um, why in, in cricket is probably, you know, you can't go around kicking people or hitting people with your bat. So it certainly doesn't come out in that. But um just being aware that it's part of me and, and I, I truly believe it's there and I'm, I'm, I really like it that I have it. It doesn't mean I have to be you know, in your face and shouting at you to be competitive or have that edge. Um, but I think I, I definitely need that energy to have it as well. I think speaking about having some time off that sort of couple of months um, you know, that I had a break from the game, you know, going back into it, that sort of mongrel as you said and that competitiveness and and will to be the best I can be was was really sort of recharged brilliant right we've reached the point of our quick fire questions Joss and as a as a listener to the podcast you'll be expecting some of them first of all what are your three non-negotiables that you and the people around you have to buy into yeah so three uh, non-negotiables obviously authenticity um would be one um I think humility is the big one for me uh, and I'd say balance. You know, I think for me, you've got to have some form of balance in your life. Where were you? Where are you? And where are you going? Yeah, so where was, I'd say I was potential. I'd, say, I'd describe myself as someone with potential. I'd say where I am now is certainly close to having fulfilled that and certainly have much more knowledge around that. Uh, and where I'm going, which is a tough one for me to try and work out, is it's like, I want it to be almost unattainable is, is can I fulfill that potential? Can I reach the top of the mountain? Can I get there? Um, and if I don't get there, then I'll fail on my own terms. Wonderful. What message would you give to a, a teenage Joss who's just starting out, be it in cricket or in life? Uh, be yourself. Um, I, I, yeah, I'd definitely tell myself to you know, really be yourself. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm good at that at certain times. And I think I'm, uh, then I'd flip into that where I'd lose that. So uh, just to try and live that more often, um, to be yourself and um, have self-awareness, I think. I think that's a, you know, it's a, actually a bit of a, I think you actually need to spend some time with certain people maybe to sort of, you know, work out who you are and what you're about and, and what the things you like, the things you don't like. So actually go through that process of, of self-awareness. If you could go back to one moment of your life, what would it be and why? The 2019 World Cup final, having uh, just taken the bales to to win the game, that um, 30 seconds a minute of, of running around that field at Lords of, of pure elation is is the best feeling I've I've ever felt on a cricket field. So I'd love to relive that. How long did that elation last for? Uh, a while, yeah, a few days. But uh, yeah, we, uh, we we went straight into the Ashes, and that's another great lesson. You know, I, I did some interviews after that, thinking, you know, I'll never feel pressure again in cricket. I, I've can just freewheel the rest of my career. I, I'm so happy and, and content now that we've won the World Cup. Uh, and then you know, a week later, uh, all those feelings are coming back of, I'm nervous, I feel, you know, it's like, what an idiot for actually thinking that. But uh, it was a good lesson to learn that uh, just 
winning the World Cup actually didn't change anything. Really, you're not an idiot. I mean, how can you? How can you not? How can you know how it's going to feel when you've won a World Cup until you win a World Cup, and then you realise that your brain constantly wants more. It's uh, it's never quite fed enough, is it? And the final question, Joss, and you know, this has been such an interesting and wide-ranging, varied conversation. For the people listening to this, your one final message, really, from all the things that you've learned over the years for living a high-performance life. Um, yeah, I think you know, for living the you know, best version, like have that self-awareness, who you are, what you're about, um, spend time and sort of what do you want from life or what do you want from your work or from your sport or your home life sort of, uh, and trying to work towards that and, and realizing it doesn't have to happen tomorrow. Um, you know, be consistent, be disciplined, um, take your time. Um, and, um, you know, to always believe, I think is a, is a great one that, you know, that tomorrow could be a great day. You never quite know the, when that brilliant day is going to come. So keep striving towards that. That's lovely. I mean, what I've really, nice kind of I want to use the word gentle conversation Damien but I don't want anyone to listen to that and think in in any ways it's kind of like a negative it's gentle Damien in a really positive way that we can have a conversation with someone like Joss who's competing at the level that he's competing at and is achieving what he's achieving but with a a real kind of a serenity and a calmness and an ever-growing understanding of actually that there's so much more floating around here and if you get caught up in the tiny little nuances of life then it can be it can derail you. Oh, it's been a privilege to listen to you, Joss. I've made a note of your three non-negotiables of authenticity, humility, and balance, and you've you've lived them um, throughout the last hour, so thank you. No, thanks, guys. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure to be on the pod, so thank you. Damien. Jake. What a fascinating individual. I think... For me, what summed up his entire approach, not just to cricket, but probably to life as well, was when we finished that recording, because sadly it was it was a shame we couldn't do it in person. We had to do it remotely, but we finished the recording. And and then before he signed off, he went, yeah, apologies if I, uh, if I spoke too much about myself. And you think, hold on, <laughs> this is an interview with you about your life, um, having just had one of the best, you know, few months of your whole career. And you're apologising for talking about yourself. I love it. But that's him, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful anecdote to share with listeners, Jake, because I think it encapsulates the essence of uh, of the person that we've been lucky enough to speak to there. Humble, self-effacing, got his life in some in a huge kind of perspective. It, it was a real privilege. And I can't help thinking that the journaling that he spoke to us about that he's, uh, that he's come across in his career is a huge part to play in that in terms of his ability to be able to discern the difference between his thoughts, his feelings and his behaviours and make sense of them. You know, he used that great line about being able to look back on what he'd written and change a couple of sentences and therefore change the way he felt about a challenge and the way he was going to shape up to behave in it. It's a really great example that anyone can take and adopt if they're facing similar situations to Joss. I'll tell you something else that leapt out at me. Do you remember when we had the conversation with um, Mel Robbins? And she said, hey, how's cynicism working for you? Um, when, we, when we said, you know, there will be people that are cynical about high-fiving in the mirror. And there are people who are cynical, right, about all these kind of like short quotes or little motivational messages or, you know, even us making this podcast. You know, the, the biggest criticism I get, and it actually comes predominantly from, interestingly, from from people who work in football media, I think it's because they just don't think that a football presenter should be doing this kind of thing. But they like, they love to sort of have a little pop or have a little go or sort of make light of it or reference Ricky Gervais or whatever. But here's the reality. That guy was playing in the Cricket World Cup final and he used two words that transformed the way that he played the game and the fact that, you know, he was successful in that match. And it's a reminder that we can stand on the sidelines, we can snipe, we can be critical, we can be cynics all we like, or we just go, do you know what? Maybe this positive stuff actually does work. Yeah. Again, like one of my favourite quotes is the is the Teddy Roosevelt man in the arena. You know, that, that unless you're out there in the arena getting the lessons taught to you in the harshest possible way, and whatever your arena is, it doesn't matter. You know, I think it's easy to sit on the side and snipe and criticise, but... Like Josh said, if if those two simple words of fuck it, do it for him and just put him in a different mental state that allows him to go out and feel better and therefore perform, who are we to judge it or to say that 
that's inappropriate or it's trite. It works for him and he's and he's kind enough to come and share that and allow us to maybe explore it and take it and apply it in our own lives. And it was also another worthwhile reminder from someone at the top of his game that adversity and failure are useful. In fact, they're actually necessary for developing a strong mind and a strong mind can lead to a successful life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, you know, none of this stuff happens in straight lines. Joss's experience in 2015 of bit of sort of being dropped from the England team and and having the sort of public eye cast upon him to sort of discuss his failings and where he needs to improve is a really harsh environment for anyone to go through. But I think he's shared with us he's how much stronger, how much better, how much more effective he is for having gone through that. So it's it's one of your favourite Stoic quotes, Jake, that what what is sometimes hard for us isn't necessarily bad for us. And that's and Joss again has reinforced that message. Brilliant. I really love the conversation and I hope you do as well at home. Thanks a lot, Damien. Thanks, Jake. I loved it. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that. I absolutely did. Just a quick reminder that you can really change the trajectory of this podcast. Okay. I can't say this more clearly. If you have listened to High Performance, either this is your first episode or you've listened to them all and it's impacted you, there's only one thing I want you to do and that's share it. I don't care whether you share it by ringing a friend and telling them to listen. I don't care whether you put it in a WhatsApp group. I don't care if you stick it on your Instagram. It doesn't have to be overtly done. It can be done on the quiet, but let's grow this community. Let's keep on spreading the lessons and the learnings from this series. Let's keep telling the world that it's about empathy. It's not about opinion, that it's about understanding. Let's make the world a better place by sharing the High Performance Podcast. And if you can do that for us, I will be forever grateful. Thank you so, so much for being part of this movement. Thanks as well to Finn from Rethink Audio, to Hannah, to Will, to Eve, to Gemma, for the whole team on the podcast. But please, finally, remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. So chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious, and empathetic. And spread the word about this podcast. We'll see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.